0: Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Today, we are joined by national college football and basketball writer for Yahoo Sports and fellow Syracuse alum, Pete Thamel, former Iowa State and Auburn head football coach, Gene Chizik, and the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Executive Director, Rick Baker. Today's show is brought to you by Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Also joining me, as she does each week, is our on-air producer, Angela Lang. Angela, I'm here in Houston. I was at the Texas Bowl last night, uh, the last bowl game prior to the uh, college football championship game in Indianapolis. Uh, what a bowl season we've had so far. I can't wait to talk to today's guests about it.
1: So much excitement! I know you've been uh, crisscrossing the country, and it's probably hard for you to pick a favorite. It's like picking a favorite child. But do you have a favorite experience so far uh, of your travels of full season?
0: Gosh, I it's it's hard. It is hard to pick one. You know, you you look at the ones I've been to, as well as the ones I've watched on TV. I, I just think overall the the compelling matchups and uh, the upsets and the the reaction of the student athletes. You know, after they win these games, uh, has has been. Uh, it's been fun for me. I, I If I had to pick one moment, I think it's that Utah walk-on quarterback coming in and, and taking advantage of his moment, even though they didn't win the game. I was I was nervous for him, but uh, it, was, it was really fun to watch him perform.
1: Yeah, so many goosebump moments uh, that really show these games are meaningful here at the end of the season. And Pete Bammel, uh award-winning writer covering college football for Yahoo Sports, joins us and excited to hear what Pete has to say about bowl season. Welcome to the show, Pete.
2: Angela Nick thanks for uh thanks for having me. It's been uh it's been a fun uh, a fun flurry of games here.
0: So, P you and I have uh, you and I've known each other for a while now. I was thinking about it last night. I think it was 20 years ago. Uh back when I started at the Big East, you were at the New York Times still then. Uh we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. You're you're so knowledgeable about college football and basketball, so it's always great to get your perspective on what's going on in these these sports. Um but as you know, this podcast is called Bowl Season Stories for a reason. So we're going to talk about uh, bowl games uh, a little bit and get your perspective on this season as well as the bowl system in general. Um, tell us about when you were a kid. You know, you, you grew up uh, in an area where there weren't a lot of options to go see bowl games in person back then. Uh, but obviously, uh, you, you were aware of them. You know, what was your first experience with bowl games growing up? Did you watch them on TV? Did you feel any sense of emotion about them when you were young? That you can think of.
2: So, I mean, I certainly did watch them on uh, on television. Growing up in Massachusetts, you, you're kind of agnostic to uh, you know to, to college programs. I remember probably the '88 Notre Dame team sort of being one of the first teams that maybe captured my attention. I do have vague memories of uh, of Doug Flutie's pass to uh, to beat Miami uh, in the early '80s when I was when I was very young. Um, that was obviously not a bowl game. That was in a regular season game against uh, against Miami. But those were some of the kind of earlier college football moments that uh, that that lured me uh, that lured me in. And then once I got to college at uh, at Syracuse, I was I was lucky enough to uh, to cover a Fiesta Bowl uh, when Coach Pasqualoni led Syracuse against Kansas State. They played in an Orange Bowl as well. Uh, got dumped pretty good by uh, by Florida, and so that was the first time I was really able to sort of see the pageantry and and really uh, experience the bowls.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure today's uh, generation uh, knows our Syracuse Orange to ever uh, have been good enough to play in Fiesta Bowls and Orange Bowls. Um, I know we're both looking forward to them, to, to, to them getting back to bowl season sometime soon. Uh, but talk about, talk more about, you know, professionally, you mentioned those, those two early on, you know, what was, you know, what are some of the moments you had that you remember covering bowl games or attending them, you know, during your career?
2: Well, I mean, the, the one that really stands out is that, uh, is that great fiesta bowl between Boise State and Oklahoma. Um, I think that would have been the 06 season if, uh, if, if memory serves me right. Jared Zabransky was the, was the Boise quarterback. Adrian Peterson was the, uh, was obviously the star tailback for, uh, for, for Oklahoma. And that game basically, you know, I think is the, is the greatest game I've ever covered. It had the consecutive trick plays of the hook and ladder at the end of regulation, a, uh, it was a receiver pass in the end zone in the first overtime. And then the, the obviously the famous statue of Liberty play to, uh, to, to end the game just in terms of like sheer excitement. Um, it's hard to top that uh, that flurry, and and at the time, Boise beating Oklahoma was just a huge a huge deal because it had been you know, there had been that struggle for uh, for access. Urban Myers Utah team in 04 was sort of the first uh, the first to sort of break through that uh, break through that barrier, and so there's uh there's obviously there was obviously just a uh, that was one of the few times where i've like stood up in a press box and like emoted screen i mean it was just an unbelievable uh unbelievable finish and if people ran oklahoma's overtime adrian peterson took one carry for uh for 25 yards for a touchdown um so there were some big time players on that field and there was just uh in boise was up multiple touchdowns in that game oklahoma came all the way back it was just uh from wire to wire a really uh a really memorable game and uh, one of the, one of the best I've ever covered in my career.
0: Yeah. I think we all remember, remember that game. That's a, that's a good one, but we just finished up uh, this week with the Texas bowl, last bowl game before the CFP championship game on Monday, as we mentioned earlier, what are your thoughts on this year's bowl season? Anything particular stand out to you?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's been uh, it, it's been a really good uh, it's been a really good bowl season. I, I, I think so far the you know, the, the highlight has to be that Rose Bowl. I mean, it was just such a such a remarkable game and it certainly bore out in the uh, in in the ratings. And just to to see Jackson Smith and Jigba have the afternoon he had, I'm sure you felt old Nick, seeing Marvin Harrison, Jr., um, you know, score three touchdowns and play the way he did. And, you know, ushering in the next great generation of, uh, of Harrison's receiving um, to me, that was uh, you know, that was just that, that's sort of been the, the hallmark moment so far, I, you know, Oklahoma state had what Mike Gundy called the greatest winning program history. They had an awesome comeback against Notre Dame in the, uh, in the Fiesta bowl. And uh, yeah, you go through, I, I think probably the most fun bowl outside the Rose bowl was that music city bowl, uh, you know, Purdue and Tennessee, uh, trading missed tackles for most of the afternoon, but, um, still a very, uh, a very fun game. And that, that's kind of what the bulls about. I, I think wide open offenses, wild finishes, um, that one really, uh, that one really stuck out. And I think, you know, part of what we'll remember this bowl season is like what Rutgers did. Sort of just you know their punter flew back from Australia to play in the to play in the uh, Gator Bowl. Just sort of figuring it, figuring out it as we've gone along, and that's sort of what sports have become a little bit the past two years is uh, finding a way to play and finding a way to get together. And uh, Rutgers obviously uh, got got beat pretty solidly against Wake Forest, but showed up for a half, and it was a nice moment for that program. But I think that's a little bit of the spirit of this bowl season. We saw LSU try to figure it out, um, you know, running Wildcat last night. Um, in the uh, in the Texas Bowl where you were, so there's been uh, yeah there's been some uh, there's been some great uh, some some great games.
0: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. You know you 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 mentioned your first bowl experiences uh, covering the Fiesta in the Orange at Syracuse. I was there just a little bit before you when I was working there for for Coach Pasqualoni. Uh, the first time we went to the Fiesta Bowl, and Marvin Harrison was uh was a receiver on that team. And, uh, and I, I know Marvin pretty well. And, and I don't know. I, I guess I knew his son was at Ohio State. I wasn't really tracking on it until uh, I, I watched the game. And I said, well, I, I feel old now. Um, but he's uh, I think he has a chance to be as good as his dad, I think, which is pretty damn he's
2: good. He's 6'3, 205.
0: Yeah, he's big. Like Marvin. Bigger. Yeah,
2: Marvin Harrison is obviously one of the best receivers in NFL history, but he was never a just a physical specimen. So his son is really some elite traits mm-hmm. to go along with what we're starting to see is some of those technical abilities that his dad had.
0: Yep. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's let's dive into, you know, the bowl system a little bit. I, I'd like to do this with you. I mean, typically this podcast, it's it's very, very easy questions and answers and not to say that this one is any harder. But um, I'm always fascinated this time of year with the commentary around college football. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day. It's the same kind of commentary every year at this time. By all indications, college football is as popular as ever. Television viewership in the regular season was off the chart this year. I think we had 15 games with 7 million or more viewers, which wow. is amazing. Uh, bowl season viewership was up. We had compelling matchups, overtime games, a lot of scoring. It was a fun bowl season. But at the same time, people are, are wanting to f- focus on the negatives. You know, the opt-outs, the transfer portal. Obviously, COVID's affecting, you know, everything we do in life. Pete, where is the balance between all that's good and popular in college football and the great experiences that bowl season provides to these student athletes, especially the seniors who may never play another game with the with the negatives that people want to intend to focus on at this time of year.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think there is there is a balance like I've never been one who thinks there's too many bowls. I think the bowls are great experience for, for players and as a consumer I like having a lot of bowls. So I, I, I think that argument has kind of become a little bit stale and, and antiquated. And, it, and what I think is happening in real time, Nick, is that the, the business model of the Bulls has been a booming business model. And the players are simply catching up to it and they're looking after their own business interests. And they don't need to participate in the Bulls business model if they don't want to, which is, which is fine. Like I, have, I obviously have no problem with anybody opting out, respect anybody who who still, uh, who still plays but you know, have no, have no issue there. But I think the the players are now businesses and, and they, they were probably before, but they are now. And they're looking out for their own respective business interests. And if they feel like this expanded bowl season doesn't fit their business interests, they're, they're making their own choices, which is great, right? Like it's America. You should be able to do what you want, go where you want. Um, I think the the bowl business model needs to catch up to some of the realities and, In in evolve, and I I think we're on the cusp of an evolution. The the, we've been pushing there for for six months. There's been some obstacles on an expanded playoff. I do think we're going to get there. Now is it in 24? Is it in 26? Um, I'm not sure, but I think it's fairly uh, it's it's fairly inevitable. And so we're 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 sort of in this in this little period of flux right now. And where you do end up having a a game like the Peach Bowl, where the guys you'd want to tune in and and watch aren't playing. Now the game was fine, but it, there are going to be circumstances where, if that was a playoff game, I think it would have been completely different, and Kenneth Walker would have played, and Kenny Pickett would have played, and that that will kind of resonate as one of the examples going forward here. So, I don't think the bowl business model is broken. I just think the players have evolved, and the in the bowl business model and the the leadership in college athletics need to evolve.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Pete. Uh, I think uh, I think college athletics in general needs to continue to evolve. Um, the issues that bowl season faces are are not unique to bowl season they're they're uh, system-wide they're they're consistent across all of college athletics and uh it's an interesting time in college athletics for sure and uh i know the bowl season's ready to evolve with it and you know remain a really important part of of college football as it has been for a long time last question for you pete Um, big game coming up on monday rematch uh, of the sec championship game any predictions uh, for the cfp championship game on monday
2: yeah, I, I'm going to take Georgia in this game. Uh, it was interesting. The odds makers, after Georgia got thumped pretty good uh, on a neutral field, came right back and, and, and placed them as the uh, as, as the favorite. Uh, I got a story coming out on Yahoo this week where I have coaches break down the, uh, the, the title game, and one of them said something to me that kind of stuck in my head. He said, Alabama has the three best players. Obviously, the edge rusher, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and then Jamison Williams, the receiver. He said, those are the three best players in the field. Four to 11. That's mostly Georgia. So Georgia maybe has a quantity of high-end talent, where Alabama has just a few elite elite players that have that have pushed over the top. I thought that Georgia did a poor job of pressuring, confusing, and altering what Bryce Young did in that first game. And I think they have enough talent, enough pieces, and Dan Lanning will adjust the scheme enough to, to make things more difficult for him. Um, I mean, when you think back at that game, you know, it gets swung on two plays. There's a coverage bust over the middle where Jamison Williams cuts across and ends up outrunning the defense for for a touchdown. And then there's the over-the-top pass early in the second half to, to Jamison Williams. I feel like if they can, again, it's easy to say, right, eliminate big plays. But I do feel like they can tighten things up enough and create enough havoc and confusion with all the talent they have on defense to slow down. But I think, Nick, it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think that you know it wouldn't surprise me the overtime if if it's not a one score game i would be pretty surprised i think uh i'm gonna give georgia the uh, i'm gonna give georgia the edge i feel like stetson bennett has uh you know he's gone through it a little bit and i think he's going to come out the other side here and uh play an inspired game against the tide
0: pete that is a level of game analysis that we are not used to here on bowl season stories Podcast. okay so we we, uh, we we appreciate that that was that was awesome and uh Gives us a lot of things to to look at uh, when we watch the game. Pete, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Always good talking to you and uh, hope to see you soon.
2: Yeah, Nick, thanks. Angela, thanks.
0: Appreciate you. We're going to take a short break and be right back with former Iowa State and Auburn head football coach, Gene Chizik. Stay with us.
1: After bowl season comes tax season. And this year, you too can feel like a winner with a guaranteed max refund from Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today and for details and disclosures on the maximum refund guarantee. Welcome back to bowl season stories. We are now joined by former Iowa state and former Auburn head coach, Gene Chizik coach. It's an honor to have you on the show. And as we're getting ready to wrap up bowl season, you certainly had a, a successful stretch in bowl season games.
3: Yeah. Bowl season is amazing guys. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's an honor to play in the bowl games, number one. And, you know, from a player's perspective, it's a, it's an incredible, um, reward, you know, for having a good season. And, uh, look, bowl season is exciting for everybody. I think the fans are, uh, they love to be able to tune in for about a straight month of nothing but football, um, to kind of culminate the season of their favorite team. But, um, yeah, bowl season was special for me. Uh, I was lucky. I actually, uh, was, able to be a part of a lot of good bowl teams and won a lot of games in bowls. So uh, it's always been a great memory for me.
0: Coach, this is uh, Nick Carparelli here. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm actually sitting here in Houston. I was at the Texas bowl last night, which as you know, was the was the last game of bowl season before the championship game on Monday. Um, it seems to me that this bowl season was, was a little bit more exciting than others. I and mean, we just saw some upsets, some high scoring games. It, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure you watched a lot of them. What, what's your view of this year's bowl season and, and, uh, anything in particular stand out to you?
3: Well, uh, yeah, bowl season was amazing. I mean, you know, of course, me being so involved with the sec, um, I think we had 13 teams that were involved in bowl games. So obviously I paid a lot of attention to those games, but from a national perspective, um, you know, watched a lot of those bowls too, but, uh, I agree. Bowl season has been extremely exciting. Um, I would probably do it injustice if, in an injustice if I started naming the games that were the best games, but there were some great ones out there. Uh, and um, you know, as I look back and I reflect on these, you know, people always have the the uh, you know this sentiment. You know, is there too many bowl games? Is there you know is there some you know Um, some of the luster, is that kind of worn off? Well, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm a football junkie and I love the fact that there's this many bowl games. I think it's fantastic, uh, rewards for players. Uh, I think it's fantastic for the fans over the holidays to be able to sit down with family and friends and watch bowl games on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Wednesday afternoon. Um, college football is an escape. And uh, when you have that many cool games and these cool matchups that aren't, you know, interconference matchups, um, I think it's really neat. So the bowl season has been amazing. Uh, not over yet because we still got the big one to come. But um, I think it's been an amazing bowl season.
0: I, I agree with you, Coach. You know, and I obviously it's, it's my job to say these things, but I, I really believe I'm, I'm passionate about the sport and about bowl season in general. And you look at. I mean, just look at the reaction of the of the players after these games, and it could be any type of team in any type of bowl. I I, I watched the Coastal Carolina players and the way they react after that bowl win. You think about a, a program like UAB, you know, beating the highest ranked opponent they've ever beaten, you know, in the, in the Independence Bowl, and how excited they were. And then, you know, I was at the Citrus Bowl in Kentucky's uh, victory over Iowa. I mean, th- those kids were so excited to win their fourth straight bowl game, uh, it's really, really meaningful to those kids, despite what some of the media likes to say about them. Well, you know, I'm in the media, so I understand how this works, right? You're a little different uh, though, coach. You're a little different than other media.
3: Well, you know, I try to be very um uh I guess pragmatic on how I see things, right? And uh, I do see things from a coach's perspective. I do think see things from a player's perspective. Um and, you know, there, there's too much attention shed on the guys that decide not to play in these games. But what people don't realize is that the lion's share of these players, a high, high percentage of these players, whether they have um, incredible prospects as far as being an NFL guy down the road, they play in them. As As a whole, they play in these games, but from a media perspective we always want to focus on the ones that don't but why don't we focus on the ones that do right so we always says that say that say that um, in recruiting you know they talk about the ones you didn't get let's not talk about the ones we didn't get let's talk about the ones we did get right so i see it kind of the same way bowls are celebrated by the majority of college football players no matter what their prospects are for the nfl uh, and to your point um Purdue beating Tennessee, Coastal Carolina. I mean, Kentucky's reaction after beating Iowa. All you have to do is watch for 10 seconds at the end of the game and see that these kids had a blast. Like, they'll never forget these things because no matter how you want to slice it, bowl games are bowl games and they're a reward for playing well in a season in most cases. And so, um, man, I think Again, I, I love watching the players respond,
0: uh, and I can't get enough bowl games. I can't say to, uh, enough. Well, you had the chance to go to a lot of bowl games as a coordinator and then as a head coach uh, at a couple of different places. Uh, obviously, you won the national title in 2011. You know, talk a little bit more about what what that bowl experience is like as a head coach, uh, and talk about how these some of the bowl games can be building blocks for the future. You know, you you won the national championship at Auburn, but the year before, you know, you took your team to the Outback Bowl right? And, and some people could view that as kind of a part of the process, you know, the, the winning the national championship didn't start in August of that year, it started the year before, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I
3: feel like um, most coaches would say that, you know, on a national championship run, or, or what propelled them into a really great season, more cases than not, you probably look back at what happened in the bowl game, because that's the last thing, right? And that could have happened either way, good or bad, right? So in our case, we had I think a double overtime win in the Outback bowl against Northwestern, which really set the tone for the off season. I mean, it makes going into that weight room, it makes those 530 AM workouts. It makes them completely different in terms of mindset, right? Uh, And then there are some coaches that could probably look back. Maybe it was a bad loss, and it was a chance for them to really recalibrate and refocus, and maybe that propelled them into you know the next season and maybe a really stellar stellar year. So, but I know for us, uh, that Outback Bowl game as an example really propelled us for an incredible off season. and I think most coaches will tell you that's why it's so important to win that game. To win your last game in a bowl game atmosphere against a um, non-conference opponent, uh, there's a lot of value in that and there's a lot of stress put on that. So, and it's interesting because when you go to these bowl games as a coach, you have to find that that right, that that happy medium where the players can have a lot of fun and get the reward they want, but you also know it's a work week because you understand the importance of what a win will do for you moving forward. so it's an interesting dynamic
0: Coach question I like uh, I like to ask people um, you know your, our lives are our, our professional uh, careers are our journeys right and uh, when you were younger I'm sure you had some mentors uh, that helped you climb the ladder as a young coach and uh, talk to us about some uh, some of the most influential people in your career and what was some of the best advice you got that you were able to apply as a coach? Well, the best advice
3: i ever got when i was a young coach was be authentic be authentically you i think and there's there's a lot of cases where a lot of young coaches get into the profession and they see how coach a b or c um kind of conducts his business and they they try to emulate that and they kind of get out of their own character and The word that I always tell young coaches now is be authentic. You got to stand up in front of those 18 to 22-year-olds every day, and you got to be authentically you. That doesn't mean you can't use the X's and O's and the motivation tools that other people use, but in the end, they've got to be you. And that's the same way when you're a broadcaster on TV or do your job. You just have to be authentically you. Some will like it, some won't, but you have to be you. That was the best advice I ever got. Um, but the people that had so much influence on my life, from a coaching perspective, would have to start with Danny Ford. Years ago, he gave me my first college job. I was actually a high school coach, and Danny Ford was the head coach at Clemson at the time. Thirty-something years ago, it was 1988, um, and um, he gave me my first college job. So he gave me, he had a lot of influence, and we were really good. We had won 20 games in two years, uh, won an ACC championship. Um, but he had a lot of influence. And then one guy that, um, some people may not know, his name's Boots Donnelly. He was the head coach at middle Tennessee state. And that was my first real full-time job where I wasn't a graduate assistant. It was my first job. And I happened to be part of the number one defense in the country two years in a row. And the way coach Donnelly taught the way he ran the program, everything that he did, um, He's not gonna be one of these names out there that everybody knows, um, but he had incredible influence on my career. Uh, and then I can fast forward and how could I ever not say Mac Brown? Um, Mac is like my big brother, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, Mac recruited me away from Auburn. I was, the, I was the defensive coordinator at Auburn in 2004 when we were undefeated. And <clears throat> when Mac Brown made the call, about coming to Texas, um, I was honored, very honored, um, but uh, going and spending two years with him, being fortunate enough to be part of a national championship then um, when we played USC, uh, that was an amazing part in my career, in my life. And he uh, was probably one of the most influential, if not the most influential guy uh, that that i Ever was around, um, just the way he conducted himself, the way he treated people, the way he was with the players. Um,
0: he was a huge
3: influence on me.
0: Big game on Monday, Coach. Rematch of the SEC championship game, Georgia and Alabama. You're obviously very familiar with with both of those teams. Care to make any predictions?
3: Well, what I found out over the years, guys, is I stink at predictions. I'm not <laughs> I'm not really good at it. Because I said in the first matchup in the SEC championship that there is no way, there is zero way, based on what I've seen, that Alabama could beat Georgia. I just didn't see it and couldn't have been further from the truth. I think it's going to be very difficult for Alabama to beat Georgia twice. Uh, I still say Georgia's the most complete team in the country. Um, I've said it all year. Even after they lost Alabama, I said it um when you watch the college football playoff semifinal against Michigan i think you could make the argument that they are uh and i still feel that way so this is a tall order for alabama to beat a team like georgia twice uh georgia's just they're amazing defensively you know the loss to alabama in the first game was a georgia problem you know they did a lot of things in that game that were very uncharacteristic in terms of mistakes and execution that I hadn't really seen all year. Um, you never know why those things happen in those games, but they do. Um, so I think it was a it was a great wake up call for Georgia. I think it was a scenario where Georgia is going to say, "Hey, look, we can't roll the ball out there and beat anybody. We got to be focused and we got to execute. And we, you know, all those things that Kirby preaches." Um, and so they they're gonna they're gonna be very focused. So I think it's going to be tough um, for Alabama to beat them twice. Um, but again, I, I'm terrible at predictions.
0: Well, it's, uh, that's why they play the games, coach. I think we're all looking forward to watching watching that one on Monday night. Last question for you. Uh, this is something uh, I, I've wanted to ask you for a while and haven't had the opportunity. You're very active on Twitter. I enjoy following you. Oh, good. Um, but your content is, it might be a little bit different than someone uh, of your background. The majority of your posts seem to be very philosophical in nature. I think they're meant to be motivational in nature. Uh tell me what's your what's your goal with what you post on social media? What is, what it inspires you to to post what you do? Yeah,
3: that that's a lot of people ask me that. Um I love being on Twitter because I I want to um I want to give people things to think about. I want to try to give positive energy out there. Most of my tweets are really in um, something to do with you making yourself better as a human. I believe every day we get up, um, there's room for improvement. And so a lot of it is thought provoking. Uh, a lot of it is trying to be motivational. A lot of it is trying to be encouraging to people. And I can't can't tell you how many times I get people, um, you know, when I have a conversation with them, they're like, man, I get up and read those every day. There's some days when that's just the perfect tweet. And I needed that because I I wanted to be able to help people out. Um, And to be quite frank, a lot of these are just the same things I've told players over 30 years. And people said, where did you start doing this? Well, when I actually stepped away from coaching, I went back through all my notes and all my slides and all my everything. And a friend of mine said, man, this is really good stuff. Why don't you start putting it out there? That's That's how it started. And so I started like five years ago and just started putting it out there Um, because it's the stuff that I've used in my coaching career over the years. So, um, just trying to help people, encourage people and certainly make people, um, think about things that may, you know, help them in that one moment where they, you know, are in a crisis or don't know what to do or, um, you know, just something to help people.
0: I think you're accomplishing that coach. I, I, like I said, I I enjoy them. I get a lot out of them. Uh, I have two sons, one's a freshman in college, one's a junior in high school, and I, I often share your posts with them. So uh, you're, you're you're making an impact on the Carparelli family, for sure, if that, if that means anything to you. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, Coach, thank you uh, so much for being on the show. We took enough of your time. Um, good luck with everything you do. Uh, really appreciate your perspective uh, and everything you're doing uh, for college football. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Thank
3: you, guys. Blessed and honored to be on. Thank you, guys.
4: So great to
1: have Coach Chisick on the show. And now we welcome President and CEO of the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Welcome Rick Baker, who is just finishing the 86th Classic. Great to have you on the show.
4: Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much. Um, and before we get started today, I just really want to thank uh, Nick Caparelli for uh, all the great work that he does for the Football Bowl Association. Um, You know, uh, it's really an honor to be on with him today. Uh, And, um, you know, Wright Waters did a great job and built a great foundation for the Football Bowl Association. Uh, But when Nick came on board, we were certainly hopeful that he would take it to another level for us. Uh, And he's certainly done that. Um, You know, the bowls are, you know, we're all, we all are caught in our traditions. And we're all obviously very much, you know, very much tied to our traditions. And I think with Nick's leadership, it's really helped us realize um, that we need to balance our traditions with innovation and flexibility, especially with COVID and all the things that have gone on. And I just really want to thank Nick on behalf of all of the executive directors of the Bulls for his great leadership here during these uncertain times.
0: Well, Rick, thank you so much for that. Very, very kind words. It's You know, as they say, it's easy to, uh, to work hard and, and, you know, at least try to do a good job when you, when you love what you're doing. You know, I love college football. I'm passionate about the bowl system. And, and uh, I, uh, people ask me who my boss is. I have 44 bosses. You're one of them. Uh, But uh, you know, executive directors across the board, Rick are are really good guys. I think you have to be a good guy to work in this business and you're probably at the top of that list. So, so thank you for that, Rick. Thank you. Now, You've been a part of the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic for four decades. (laughs) I think you joined the organization in 1988 as the director of marketing.
4: Have you you ever think about that? Does it seem that long? Oh, oh my gosh. You know, uh, I used to be able to uh, tell everyone a little bit of something about every game, but now they all run together. Uh, It's it's impossible to keep them uh, apart. Really, the way that we do it on staff, is we really look at those 34 or five years sort of in three buckets. One was the, the first six or seven years, we were still uh, tied to the Southwest Conference and we were proud to be the home of the Southwest Conference champion for, uh, for those years. Then the Southwest Conference went out of business. We didn't get into the BCS. And then really for the next 19 to 20 years, We really spent a lot of time just trying to get back to where we were hosting relevant games again. I mean, we did everything possible to continue to, you know, uh, perform at the highest levels. And then finally, really the last eight years, thank goodness, we've been part of the CFP and we got back to the highest levels again. So it's sort of been three buckets that we've gone through over those, you know, four decades. Uh, my uh, my hair was certainly a different color when I started, uh, but it's been a it's been a great run of, just really a blast, and uh, it's it's really been an honor to uh, be part of this great profession.
0: Well, you're with your extensive experience, you're kind of known as the dean of Bowl Executive Directors. You, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. Um, you mentioned the the, you know, the four decades. Uh, also during that time, you've overseen national broadcast coverage changes uh, and growth over the years. Of course, the, the, you saw the Cotton Bowl move to AT&T Stadium and, yep. and solidify its place as a New Year's Six Bowl. What has that journey been like for you?
4: You know, it's, it's really been fulfilling, Nick. Uh, but I would tell you, it, you know, as you sort of look through the rearview mirror, uh, the thing that I will remember the most, without a doubt, is the people. Uh, that I have had the pleasure of not only working with, but getting to know, and really the friendships that have been developed, whether that's with our staff or with our civic leadership or with our many volunteers that we have an opportunity to work with. Uh, All of our great partners, as as you said, AT&T Stadium, the the Dallas Cowboys, uh, certainly good year now. Um, It's really an honor to really work with you know, really the best of the best. And these people, thank goodness, have really embraced what our true north is. Our true north is making memories. I mean, we're all about making memories. And, and that's for the teams, the universities, you know, all the different people that we come in to contact with. And thank goodness, all of these people have really embraced that and really uh, felt uh, the same way that that our staff and I do that that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And uh, it's, it's really been a great run. It's gone fast, uh, but it's really been a great run.
0: Talk about memories. I think that's what bowl season you know is for a lot of people. It's about those memories. And we've heard a lot of great stories uh, over the course of the 19 episodes we've had so far, bowl season stories. Uh, and, and that might be the answer to this next question, but the, the Cotton Bowl is known for its exceptional hospitality. And that's obviously a philosophy you've had around your game for a long time why is that so important
4: well i'd I'd like to take credit for it nick but it certainly was there before i got here and it it really um it really uh developed because of uh where we are uh with regards to uh um, our the dallas fort worth area we are not a destination city we do not have the beaches uh, that Eric has in Miami, we don't have the golf courses that Mike has in Phoenix, uh, we don't have the French Quarter uh, that Jeff has in New Orleans, and we certainly don't have the setting sun, uh, you know, like uh, Kevin uh, does in uh, in Pasadena. So we've really had to create what our identity is. And and so what was there way before I got there was this southern hospitality, you know, creating you know, this, this uh, atmosphere of um, personal service and customer service uh, that we've really uh, depended on to create, uh, you know, who we are. And, um, you know, it, it, it's really been, you know, something that I'm really proud of. Um, I, I am thankful uh, for uh, the support that, you know, that we've had throughout, uh, you know, all of these years. You know when you've got a great brand and you've got the financial resources um, and you've got a great staff it's pretty hard to screw that up and so you know we've we've uh you know we've really uh worked hard to create this image of um you know uh that southern hospitality and i'm, I'm really proud of the way that we've done it and you mentioned your great staff
0: um, they, they make you and the entire organization look good. I, I, I know it's uh, known to be a great place to work. Um, in fact, having you on this show is a little bit of a coup because you're, you're always trying to, to push your staff and put them in positions to further themselves personally and professionally. Um, I Want to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your staff and some of the key folks that make your event
4: so great. Well, Nick, thank you. I, it, it, they are uh, just terrific. I am so honored to be able to work with them every day. Uh, I'm proud of them. I've seen them grow right before my very eyes uh, professionally and personally. Um, you know, I don't want to start naming them because I know I'll forget someone, but I do, do just want to say that, uh, you know, I've known for a long time that I'm not necessarily the s- smartest guy. Or the most talented guy, but I, I think if there's one thing that um, I'm pretty good at is making sure that I surround myself with people that are smarter than I am, that uh, work harder than I do, um, that you know have you know great integrity, um, and I've really been very fortunate over the years uh, to have that kind of staff. We've. We've had staff that I've hired. We've had interns that have grown into full time positions because we certainly saw the potential. It's like a it's like a football coach, and you know you you get some folks from transfers and you recruit some folks, and we've really put an incredible you know just an incredible team together. Um, you know we've got we've got savers and we've got spenders, uh, so we balance out that way too uh thank goodness we're a nonprofit because we certainly don't make much money here because we pour it right back into uh our game because that's really uh the way that our staff has always, always approached you know our philosophy and what we've done so look I, I certainly would not be where i am today without the incredible folks that i work with every day and i am just so proud of their professional development and i'm proud to call them friends and uh, I, I, they're the best of the best, and I wouldn't trade any of them.
0: I I know most of your staff, Rick, and I would agree with you whole, wholeheartedly. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the common threads across all the bowl games is their uh, impact they have on their community, you know, proud members of the community that host the games, and uh, obviously your game's no different. I know the Cotton Bowl Foundation uh, has been something near and dear to your heart uh, as as you've been instrumental in its growth. What are some of the main efforts that it supports?
4: yeah you know nick uh our foundation is really only about five years old uh, uh, as i said before we've uh we've got savers and spenders and the spenders have uh have won the day for most of the year so we haven't really had much money it really after the game has been played uh to really do a whole lot but uh since we've been become part of the cfp uh and the success of the cfp we have been able to put a little money aside to invest back in the community that has uh, uh, supported us for uh, 86 years as uh, as angela mentioned at the beginning Um, and um, so we've the foundation has been in existence for about five years Uh, we've been able to impact our community uh, uh, for a little over two million dollars And really our focus is really disadvantaged youth. Uh, We we feel very strongly that we can make an impact there. Uh, We have youth clinics. We certainly um, donate to a a lot of worthy causes here uh, that um, uh, have a direct impact on uh, creating a better experience for the young people that may not have the advantages that we all grew up with. Uh, And we're very proud of that. It's something that, you know, a, a, a gives us good balance to realize how lucky we are to be in the profession we're in and to be around the people that we are and to be able to help people uh, that certainly uh, need it. So we're, we're, uh, we're really proud of the foundation of what's become, and we certainly uh, think that it can even be bigger and better in the future.
0: Last question for you, Rick. I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. You, you just had the playoff semifinal last week between Cincinnati and Alabama. Yeah. How much more do you and your ha- staff have to prepare? Or how do you prepare differently when it's a, a, a semifinal game versus the years in between when when it's a Cotton Bowl
4: game? Yeah. It's a great question, Nick. I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, we don't prepare any differently. Um, you know, we really do um, very similar things, whether we have a, a, a semi or whether it's a regular uh, Goodyear Cotton Bowl uh, year. Um, the one thing that I would say is we are all very, uh, the staff, uh, our board, uh, our partners are much are very much aware of the fact that the spotlight is a little brighter on us during a semifinal game. Uh, so we try to um, uh, better prepare ourselves for the uh, for the extra. Uh, excitement that comes with that game, uh, the extra preparation. We certainly know that the schools are going to come in with a little bit more of a purpose, a little bit more of a business um, uh, approach to the week. Uh, A lot of times we make our events that we plan all year long uh, uh, voluntary, uh, optional, uh, because we do know that some coaches approach you know, the, the activities during a semifinal differently, and we don't wanna force anything down, um, you know, uh, to, to make a team do something that they don't wanna do or would feel would take away their preparation uh, for getting into the championship uh, game. Um, so we, it's, it's basically a cotton bowl on steroids, um, but uh, we certainly are very much aware, and we certainly take that into consideration, you know, as we do our planning.
0: Well, Rick, thanks so much for being on the show. You're you're, you're truly a legend in the bowl business, whether you, or not you want to admit that or accept that, you are. So thank, thank you for uh, all you do for college football. Thanks for all you do to support bowl season. Uh, we really appreciate that and for having you on the show. Nick, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really an honor. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us again this weekend for a special edition of Bowl Season Stories where we will be taking our podcast on the road to Indianapolis at the College Football Playoff National Championship. We'll be at Playoff Fan Central, visiting with former Miami Hurricane and Indianapolis Colt Reggie Wayne, as well as former Michigan Wolverine and New York Giant Amani Toomer. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season.